grow up to go up. Grow up to go up. Thank you. I have one fan out here. Thank you. <laughs> grow up to go up. See, God's always calling us higher. He's always wanting us to come up. In Revelation, he looks down to John. He says, come up here. Now, Jesus did, remember, he did come down to us. But at this time, in Revelation, he's saying, now, I want you to come up to me. So come up higher. And he's always challenging us to do that. And life's kind of interesting because you reach those tween years. And, in fact, the, the super church is with us today participating. Thank you, super church. Good to see all of you brilliant super church people. And, but you can reach that 10, 12, 14, and you just have this accelerated passion to grow up now. You want to grow up now. So you're pushing that at, at all angles, you know. I want to grow up now. You want to be 25 at 15. I, I want to tell you, honestly, I mean this with all my heart. Just enjoy 15. You will be 25 soon enough. Enjoy 15. Enjoy 10. Enjoy it. In fact, we, we were out of town, and I was watching this, this uh, parent pushing around this little cart with this little kid, I thought, I need somebody to do that for me. Just, you know, I thought, what a good life that is. You know, they pushed around, carried, fed, you know, everything taken care of, and, and that's, that's a good life, so just don't rush it. But then what's interesting is we get older in life, and we long for those carefree, worry-free years of childhood. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We're, we're children. We want to grow up. We grow up. We go, oh, if I can only go back and enjoy those carefree years of childhood. It's a good thing to grow up. It's a wonderful thing to grow up. Again, don't, you don't have to push the process. It'll happen. Uh, so just enjoy it and embrace it. But we all know this, don't we? You can age without maturing. You can age without maturing. That's why we all know a 30-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 70-year-old, heaven's sakes, a 90-year-old who is immature. Immature in how they think, how they act, how they respond how they perceive things, how they speak. And, and it's true that getting older will cut off some of those childish edges off of you, but you can still be immature. And so God's always calling us to grow up. Same thing's true spiritually speaking. And my topic today is just grow up physically, because that's going to happen. But I'm talking about spiritual maturity, that we're growing up spiritually. And the same thing happens in spiritual growth. There are 19-year-olds who got saved at 14. They're five years old in the Lord. And they've been applying the word of God and practicing the word of God. And they are more mature spiritually at 19 than a 50-year-old who got saved at 10, who's been in it for 40 years because they've been applying and practicing the word of God. Now, they won't be as mature in how to handle themselves in the, the workforce or, you know, in grow, raising a family yet. But, but spiritually speaking, they're more mature because they've applied themselves. They have applied themselves they practice the word of God, and they have grown up spiritually. So I want to encourage us today. My goal is that we understand the value of growing up spiritually and that we understand the reward of growing up spiritually. And by the way, this isn't just for us old people, super church kids in here. You can learn and develop in this message today too. You can understand this. We think you're smart enough to go to school. You're, you're taking math and history and science and and reading and writing and, and all those things because you got a brain. And we believe you have a brain for spiritual things too. And I understand that a 10-year-old won't process it and apply things the same way a 40-year-old will, but there's still, we can start growing up spiritually at five, six, seven years old in the Lord. So listen and apply these things to, to your life as well. Now, you might have noticed that when you were a new Christian, or if you can't remember back that far, maybe you've been saved for a long time, you probably observed it in other people. 
that it seemed like when you were a new Christian, everything was easy, or at least easier. You prayed, God answered your prayer. You worshiped God, all heaven came down. You, you, you read the Bible, and oh, it's just fresh manna that just energized. You were all excited and motivated. You had this, this fresh joy, this fresh peace, this fresh hope, and you were saying, it is good to be a believer. And then after a period of time, that might have waned a little. And you say, wow, it doesn't seem to be as easy being a Christian as it was in my early days. Well, some of that may be because you were just so in love with Jesus and so excited about God that it seemed easier. But also, I believe this is true too, that God took care of you because you were, what the Bible describes, a babe or infant in Christ. Now, naturally speaking, it's true, babies require a lot of attention. A, a, an infant requires more attention than a five-year-old. A five-year-old requires less attention than a 10-year-old. A 15-year-old requires more attention than any age group, but, uh, but that, you, you get the point. And we were all, us older people were all 15 at one time. Uh, but you, you've grown, so you have abilities, you have skills. Everybody doesn't have to do anything for you. You're 10 years old, you know, you have capabilities that you didn't have when you were an infant because you're growing up spiritually. Well, when we look at this growth process, we see that there is a true growth process in the things of God. And we want to check out some verses. In, in Luke 22, Jesus is talking. give you a little backstory. Uh, Jesus sent out the disciples, if you remember, early on in ministry and just said, go out there and send you on a mission and go do what you're supposed to do, but don't take anything with you. Don't take any money. Don't take any provisions. Just the clothes on your back, the shoes on your feet, the mission in your heart, go do it. And so they did. And so Jesus is about to check out of this world. He's wrapping up towards his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he's talking to him in this passage, and he says, hey, guys, when I sent you out, Luke 22, when I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, now, they weren't barefoot, but an extra change of sandals, did you lack anything? What was their answer? Not a thing. We didn't lack anything. But then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking to them, he said to them, but now, if you have a purse, bring it. A bag, take it with you. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. <coughs> I think it's very interesting how the disciples and, and us too sometimes, Jesus is trying to teach a principle, and we take it like super literal and concrete, because if you read the whole story, somebody pipes up and says, Lord, we, we have two swords. And he says, that's enough. Now, if it was just the 12 disciples, I don't know how many disciples were here, they might have said, it's not enough. You said, if we don't have a sword, sell your cloak, buy a sword. We've got two, there's 12 of us, we're 10 shy. He was teaching a principle. The principle is this, that you're getting winged. It's time to grow up. The provisions that you'll need for the journey and for the mission ahead, if you have some, take them along. You're going to walk through the countryside with bandits, sell your cloak and buy a sword. You're going to be on a long journey, Take along an extra pair of shoes. Whatever you need, you can resource yourself. He's, he's telling them, I'm going to wean you off of some of this because you have grown up. You're growing up. You should do these things for yourself. There's things you should do. We, we sang that, and I thought about this. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Who can do? We can do. It didn't say, Jesus will do everything for you. There's a point where we grow up. 
and we start learning how to apply these things in our world and in our lives as well. So Jesus was communicating that you, you used to take nothing with you and you had everything. Now, I want you to start taking some things, making some plans, because you're, you're going to have a mission and assignment. Now, one of our problems is, is that we get stuck in immaturity because we like Jesus taking care of everything. See, I've had people tell me over the years, why doesn't God just do this and why doesn't God do that? I say, because we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it. We need to leave to God the things that only he can do, and we need to do the things God assigns us to do. Well, why doesn't God just save the whole world? Because he sent us to take the mission and the message of Jesus to the whole world. We're on assignment. We're in partnership with God. And so he wants us to grow up. He wants us to get on mission with the Lord. And we get stuck in that because we say, Lord, I just take care of everything because I'm just going to binge watch TV all weekend. Now, there's, there's a weird phenomenon that's happened. When I was younger and our family was small, we had these things called video stores. Does anybody remember those? And back in the day, inside video stores were VHS tapes. Now, I don't know if you, some of you younger people say, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then they upgraded to DVDs. Some of you younger people say, still not following you, okay? But they used to have these VHS tapes. And if you walked up on a Friday night with like a stack of 12, people were concerned for you. They looked at you and went, weirdo, something's up with this person. And so you'd take it up to the counter. If the person cared, they'd say, man, are you okay? I mean, you got 20 hours worth of TV you're going to watch this week? This is going to be a beautiful weekend? Did you think about maybe going outside or getting a friend or having a picnic or taking a walk? Nowadays, it's interesting. I hear this all the time. I see it on social media. I see it on newscasts. I see it on talk shows. People brag about binge-watching TV. I see it. I say, what are you going to do this weekend? I'm going to binge-watch six seasons of and fill in the blank. Wow, there was a day where you were thought you were kind of odd for doing that, but now it's kind of cool to binge-watch. Sean and I, I told you this one time, just a few months ago, we're watching TV, and I'm looking at the TV, and I said, do you ever look at the TV and just say, what a colossal waste of my time? He said, I say that all the time. And we settled in and watched two more hours of TV. That really is true. That's what we did. And I thought, what a colossal waste of time. I want you, this is a spoiler alert for those who don't know this. The shows you're watching on TV are not real. Okay, I just wanted you to know that. They're not doctors. They're not firemen. They're not police officers. They're not spies. They're not zombies. They're not monsters. They're not in it. It's all make-believe. And so we take our real life, and we do this. We, we take our real life, and we just sit down, and we watch these people mesmerize us with their make-believe lives. Now, I have to say this. They do an incredible job at it. Because if you've ever seen a, a movie set, I, I think about this. I think, here's this guy or gal, and they're eating a donut with the monster over on the side. And now, in three minutes... They're going to have to act utterly terrified of this guy that's still got jelly donut on his face as they do the scene. And they do it so well. I mean, we get scared with them. We cry with them. We do all, it's all make-believe. But I just want to challenge us. Let's not waste our real life watching make-believe life. Amen. Now, there is a time for some, you know, chilling out and having some good, wholesome entertainment. I'm not opposed to that at all. I just want you to know we need to be careful especially when the average American's watching four hours of TV a day. 
take that times 365, and you wonder, I just don't know why I don't find the time to clean the garage. Well, take four hours times 365, and you realize that you did have time to clean the garage. Or at least your spouse did. Okay. So the scripture talks, I'll get off that soapbox, the scripture talks about this process of maturing. We're, we're infants, we're children, we're young adults, and we're adults. And I think it's First John, the second chapter, John starts moving in, dear children this, and young men this, and fathers that, and fathers this, and young men this, and children that. Because there's this maturation process, there's this growth process. And so we start out as infants, we grow up into childhood, we move into young adulthood, and then we move into full-fledged adults. It's part of the growing up process. And the process kind of works like this. I know it's not polite to turn your back on the audience, but what happens is it's like Jesus is up here, okay? And we're down here, and we're, we're infants in Christ, and we're just like looking up at him, and it's just like, I love you, you're awesome, you're amazing, you know, care for me, feed me, help me, give me, bless me. You hear all the me's in there. And, and then all of a sudden we grow in our relationship with God, I hope, because you can get stuck forever, no need to, but you can. And then we grow a little bit and we come up a level, and then we're still being cared for. And we grow up another level, and then we keep processing the Word of God. We grow up another level, and then we're like just, you know, hugging stage with Jesus. This is awesome. But there's a, there's a better stage. Here it is. We come alongside Jesus. And all of a sudden, we see what he sees. And there's a certain weightiness to it. Uh, not to the point that it should, you know, burden us too much, but there should be a weightiness to it. Because we start looking at this hurt, hurting and broken world that Jesus loves so much he passionately died for them. We start seeing how sin and Satan is wrecking the lives of people. And we see that Jesus has called us along to partner up with him. To partner up with him. And all of a sudden we realize if we grow up and we face the world partnering up with Jesus, that wow, we have the most strategic mission, the most important mission on planet Earth. And that is the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus. The advancement of the kingdom of God. And so all of a sudden we start realizing, oh my goodness, it's not just all about me and mine. It's not just all about gimme, 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 gimme. And I do want to say this. In a relationship, there's always a point of a mutual give and take. I get that. But most of the time in God, it's not real mutual. It's us take, 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 and God gives, 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 gives. And he calls us to partner up with him. He actually says we're heirs of his and joint heirs with Jesus. And when you start reading through the Bible, you see this partnership that God wants out of us. He's calling us to go do things. I, the, the best example you hear me say often is the risen Savior knocks then Saul, the Christian persecutor, on the ground. He has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Now, in my opinion, the best person to lead Saul to Christ would be the risen Christ himself. But he doesn't do that. He says, I want you to go to this place and I want you to meet this guy and he's going to tell you the wonderful words of life. You know why? Because he's delegated that to us. Now, I will say this, no joke. I often read this and think, that's a really bad plan. I look at those 12 disciples. He said, now, 
Go ye into all the world. Actually, they're down to 11 at this time. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I commanded. Go into all the world. And I think, they're not that impressive of a group. But you know what? We're going to show the world that even though we're just earthen vessels, we're just jars of clay. This all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. You ever turn on Christian TV? And see, now there's some great Christian TV, and there's a really awful Christian TV. Anytime I watch an awful Christian TV, I think, there has to be a God, or no one would get saved. They would turn this on and reject Christ completely. There has to be a God. God's using us, and he's empowering us to do the work of the ministry. So we are going to look at how staying spiritually immature is hampering our potential personally, and the kingdom of God. Let's look at Galatians 4. This is an earthly example. All earthly examples fall short in some way of teaching a spiritual principle, but they at least help us get closer to understanding it. So Paul's talking to these Galatians who have decided that maybe it's a good idea to go back under the law, you know, the Jewish law. The whole book is him saying, bad idea. So he's going to show us how Christ is so superior to just going back under rules and regulations that no one seems to be able to keep. And so he's trying to give them this concept. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than what? Than slaves. Until they what? Grow up. They're not much better off than slaves until they grow up until they grow up. Even though, you see this? Even though they actually, they actually literally own everything the father had. I want that to sink in for a second. Until we grow up, we're not much different than slaves, even though we actually own everything the father has. Wow powerful concept. It said these people who have all this wealth, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age the father said. And that's the way it was with us before Christ. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world, the basic elements of this world. A couple translations say to the basic spiritual forces of this world. There's spiritual forces going on all around us. A lot of them aren't good forces either basic spiritual forces of the world. God wants us to grow up. Jesus wants us to not be satisfied with basic. You know, no one's satisfied with basic. If you did love TV, and you just love TV, and money was no object to you, and the cable guy came over and said, what would you like? You want basic cable? You don't want basic cable. You want 15 sports channels, you know, 15 movie channels, 15 cooking channels. You want, a thou- you, you want your mind to be blown when you turn on the screen. You have a thousand choices to watch. No one wants basic. Oh, that we would get that passion for our spiritual life. No basics. Some people are like, well, you know, Christmas and Easter is enough, isn't it? And, and I know it's not you all because you're here. It's not Christmas or Easter in case you're wondering. So you're, you're here. So I know I'm not talking to you. But there are a lot of people who just say, what's the bare minimum I can do and kind of stay in? You know, we don't have that hardly in anything in life. If you ever played a sport, you want it in the game. 
You wanted in the game. If you're ever on any team whatsoever, if you're ever in a choir, if you're whatever you were in, you wanted to be in the game. You didn't want to know what's the basic, the least I can do. You wanted to be in the game. If you could go order any car you wanted, you wouldn't find the most basic vehicle and say, give me the bottom of the line. You want something more. Let's get that passion for the Lord. Now, there's a story called the prodigal son. Now, if you've never heard that story, it's a story, a parable Jesus tells so we can learn a point like Paul just did to the Galatians. And the story of these, well, actually, Jesus starts out the story with this line. There was a man who had two sons. And, he began, and the younger son comes to the father and says, I just, I'm too anxious to wait for you to die. Can we just pretend like you're dead now? And you give me my inheritance. And so the father says, okay. By the way, this is not a story on parenting. Just want you to know that. It has different points to it. And the father says, okay, let's do it. And the, the story says that the father takes all of his wealth and divides it among the two sons. The younger son gets wealth, and it appears from the story it must be some pretty good money. And the older brother, since the Jewish story, I, I think I'm right about this, that the oldest firstborn son would, would get a double portion of the wealth. And so he's really well off. And so the younger decides, I'm going to go squander, I'm going to go waste, I'm going to go party with all my money. Now, I want to say this. He's having the time of his life for a while. I know I say this a lot, but I want to get it in your head. God's more concerned about you having an awesome life than a great weekend. He's more concerned you about having a great life than a great college experience. Because usually people think a great college experience is partying, immorality, drinking, experimenting with all kinds of sin. That's a horrible idea. The prodigal son is a great illustration of this. The prodigal son goes out and he parties. And I have to guess that he's probably having a fantastic time while he's doing it in his flesh and his carnality. But there's a little saying you've probably heard before, sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you were willing to pay. And that's what happened. The Bible says that the son went away to a faraway country. He partied, had lots of friends when he had lots of money. When the money dries up, he has no friends. He hires himself out to a pig farmer. Now, Jesus is very specific. He's a great storyteller. We may not realize this, but pigs run clean animals. And if you wanted to find the thing that you would not associate with as a good Jewish person, it would be a pig. And so he's hired himself out to a pig farmer. And the Bible says that the young man was feeding the pigs. We would say this in our neck of the woods, pig slop. And it says he longed to fill his belly with the pig slop. But no one would even give him pig slop to eat. Here's my translation. You can go after sin if you want to, but when it's all said and done with you, the pigs will be better off than you. They will have more to eat than you. Life will be better for the pigs than it is for you. And, but he has this moment where he comes to himself and he says, man, even my father's hired hands have it better off than this. I'm going to go to the father, tell him I'm no longer worthy to be called a son, and I just want to be a hired hand. He goes through the process. He heads home. He walks out of the pig patch and and he's actually feeding them in a field. He walks out of there. He gets back to the father, gives the speech. Father doesn't listen. Put the rope on his back, ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Restores him to sonship. Now, that's a beautiful thing. Restores him to sonship. And the older brother hears a commotion. So he asks one of the people, what's going on up the house? And one of the hired hands say, oh, you didn't hear? 
your brother has come home. Dad's so excited. He's killed the fatted calf. He's having a great party, and there's a big celebration going on. Now, did the older brother, do you remember the story? Did the other brother say, oh, praise God, my young, wandering brother has come home? Nope. The Bible says he became very angry, very angry. And in Luke 15, we pick up on the story. The older brother became angry and refused to go into the house, into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Again, great Jewish story because the patriarch of the family wouldn't plead with the kid. That was very beneath the patriarch. But he's, he's pleading with the kid. The kid's not being responsive at all as a good Jewish son. But he answered his father. Now, there's lots of exclamation points in this story. And we already know from previous verses he's angry. So picture this young man, veins sticking out of his neck, face all red. He is so angry. And he gets up in his father's face and he says, look. Wow. Now, some of you had dads, you'd be dead right then, okay? I mean, you were raised by somebody. If you had gotten their face and pointed a finger and said, look. But he says, look, all these years I have been, what's the next word? Slaving for you. Obviously doesn't understand the father-son relationship well. All these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed one of your orders. I've never disobeyed one of your orders. <laughs> I love this line. But when this son of yours, oh, he said also between there, you never even gave me so much as a, a goat to butcher and to have a party with my friends, but when this son of yours, I like the line because he's not even my brother. I don't even going to claim him. When this son of yours comes home who squandered your wealth on prostitutes, when he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. I mean, he's obviously incredibly upset. But listen to this tender answer of the father. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is whose? Whose? Everything I have is yours. Hmm. Interesting. Everything I have is yours. I, I kind of see the father talking to the son saying, son, pause for a second here. Calm down. Look around. Look at the vineyards over there. Look at the crops over here. Look at all the animals grazing in our fields. Look at the homes and the outbuildings that we have on the property. Look around. This is all yours. It's all yours. I didn't know that you thought you needed permission for me to go kill a goat. Because guess what? The goats are yours. The fatted calf is yours. The farm is yours. The vineyard is yours. Don't you remember on that day when my son left, your brother, I divided it all up among you. You have plenty. And I just picture him asking, why are you living like a slave when you should be living like a son? Why are you living like a slave when you should be living like a son? Let that sink into your heart. Now, if you struggle with the son word, why are you living like a slave when you should be living like a son or a daughter? Why? 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 And so the question comes to us as well. Why are you living like a slave? That's the question that we ask or get asked. Here's why you're living like a slave. 
because you haven't grown up. <laughs> well, how dare you? Well, you just don't understand, and you don't know, and you just blah, 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 blah. I, I got that from the Bible. Galatians 4.1. Think of it like this. A father dies, gives all the inheritance to his children. The children are very little different than a slave until they grow up, even though everything the father had is theirs. We have to grow up. Now, here's the tough part of any message. Applying it to your life. See, you and I are prone to say, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening today. We're prone to elbow the person beside us. You need to pay attention to this. you got to pause and look at yourself. I have to pause and look at myself. Why do I have areas in my life that I haven't grown up or that I'm living like a slave it's because I haven't grown up. And so we're called to grow up. Grow up. Here in Corinthians, actually 1 Corinthians, I think I left the one off of there. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Paul's talking to this group of Corinthians who are pretty carnal. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual or as people who live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, carnal, fleshly, mere infants in Christ. Now I want to pause for a second. He's talking to Christians. These guys are going to heaven. He calls them brothers and sisters. That's the term of endearment for brothers and sisters in Christ. He calls them infants in, in whom? In Christ. So they're Christians. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? If people examine the Christian community, they could find a lot of immaturity, a lot of pettiness, a lot of jealousy, a lot of quarreling, a lot of immorality, a lot of bickering, a lot of backbiting, a lot of childishness. And they could come to the conclusion, the church doesn't work. In fact, let's go further. Christianity doesn't work. Now, they'd be poor and shallow thinkers if they thought that way. Now, it would be good thinking if I said, at work, in my neighborhood, at school, on my athletic teams, in the choir, everywhere I go in my secular life, everybody is so kind and loving and gracious and generous. But only in church is there bickering divisions, fighting, all that. No, the problem isn't the church. The problem isn't Christianity. The problem is people. It's a people problem, not a Christianity problem. It's a human being problem. And if you're really honest and you're a good thinker, you'll realize that if we looked around the globe, we would find out that almost all, probably not all, but almost all of the humanitarian good works that are done around the world have been instituted by Christians. Yeah, but you have people, Christians are responsible for this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. Some of that's true, some of it's not, but let's talk about what is true. Where we have, or at least people who call themselves Christians, have done wrong, have made mistakes, have just done despicable things. Let me tell you what's cool about Jesus and God and the church and Christianity is it polices itself. We just talked about Eli, Phineas, Hophnius, uh, Hophni last week. And they were evil. And guess what? God dealt with it. It won't go on forever. All the places where you have seen Christianity fail and do a miserable job, Christians rose up and corrected the problem. 
So Christianity polices itself. Now, I know with God, sometimes it takes a long time for you to police something. Because why? Because he's loving and long-suffering. He suffers long with us, which we love it when we're the one being dealt with. We don't love it if we want God to hurry up and deal with somebody else. But he's long-suffering. He's patient. He's kind. He hates us in calamity or disaster or judgment. Paul, nor the Bible, nor Jesus is excusing wrong behavior. They're giving a solution to it. The solution is Christianity. The solution is Jesus. The solution is finding and applying the principles that Christianity, I mean, genuine Christianity, not all the rules we make up, but genuine Christianity teaches. That is the solution to the problem. And so Paul's looking at these Corinthians and say, you, you must grow up. You must get a hold of God's word. You must start applying these principles or you're going to get stuck in immaturity for your entire life. And everyone here knows somebody, hopefully you're not that somebody, but knows somebody who have been believers for years but still think, act, process, understand, speak, immature, immaturely, like childish. And God wants us to grow up. So I have a solution for us. I can show you from Scripture how to grow up spiritually. And you know what happens? Oh, you're no longer subject to the basic elemental spiritual forces of this world when you grow up. You no longer have to live like a slave because you begin to understand, hold it, I have everything the Father has. Ephesians 1 and 2 tells us that. We're told that we're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. If you would say, this, Jesus has access to this, then you have to say you have access to it because you are a joint heir with Jesus. You don't have to live with a misunderstanding of what your relationship with God is like, like the older brother. I'm slaving for you. I'm trying to obey all your orders. This is awful. You no longer have to live that petty, petty, childish life that says, if you don't behave the way I think you ought to behave, I will punish you. If, if you didn't meet my expectations, if you didn't do this, if you didn't do that, then I'll just, I'll take my ball and go home. Now, there was a time in our life where we would do that because we weren't picked. You didn't pick me, then I'm out of here. But then we get a little older, and we want our kids to be picked. Our, our kid may not even know where first base and third base is, but we know they're the star player on the team, and I don't know why the coach doesn't see it. They may not be able to throw the ball three feet, but he needs to be the pitcher. She needs to be the star of this. Well, I'd have no idea. Why my daughter wasn't given the lead role in the school cantata. She's got the most beautiful voice. No, she doesn't. No one just will tell you. She sounds horrible. And so, but we, we parents, I get that. We love our kids. I get it. But then we'll just say, well, I'll just take my ball and bat and I'll go home. Here's the word of scripture from you. It's very deep. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Keep growing. You don't have to worry about punishing everybody, and, and then you don't have to worry about punishing yourself by living a negative life like that. What an awful way to live. Got all these scores to keep track of, and who did me wrong, and who did this. Just let it go. Just let it go. Be free. And then you can enjoy the privilege of coming alongside Jesus 
and partnering up with him in the greatest enterprise on planet Earth, the kingdom of God. I hope you have a job you love, but it's far inferior to partnering up with Jesus in advancing the kingdom of God. In fact, I hope you have a job you love that you can use as a platform to advance the kingdom of God. That you can, now be wise about it, but be wise and let the light of Jesus shine out of your life. And so all these things we're going to learn next week. Only because I don't think you want me to go into a second message. So, here it is. Sometimes people think, like, I want to know a leader better, or I want to know somebody better. The more you get to know me, and the more I get to know you, very serious, folks. in love, I'll be harder on you, because I feel like we have relationship. And uh, some people say, well, I thought the more I knew you, the more you would just affirm everything I did, no matter how awful it was. No. And in fact, well, I've, and I've lost people because of this. I remember one time I had a situation where a person, they had rehearsed their past so many times with me. When they started rehearsing again, I'm not joking about this, I began to get nauseated. And we had dealt with it and dealt with it and dealt with it and dealt with it. And I said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I do not want to talk about this anymore. We have talked about it. What's the saying? Till the cows come home, till we're blue in the face, whatever saying you want to say. And it really didn't help our relationship any, but it's the truth. And when I know people really well, if you come tell me some story where you have really behaved petty and childish as a Christian, I know you well, I have this little line I'll tell you, so beware. I'll say, how long have you been a Christian? And then you'll tell me, and it'll be probably 12 years, 5 years, 20 years. And when you're done telling me you've been a believer for 20 years, I'll say, and that's all you got? That's all you got? 20 years of serving Jesus. And... They forgot your birthday at work, and you're all up in arms. 20 years of being a believer, and you just told me that next time somebody has a birthday, I'm not even showing up for it. That's all you got. 20 years of loving Jesus and going after God, and that's all you got. You know what? I pray we never have any real persecution. I, I pray that this nation never falls into the persecution that other countries have, because that's all we got then we're in trouble. We need to learn how to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So our assignment is this. What areas do we need to grow up in? Where is there selfishness, pettiness, hurt feelings, jealousy, division, backbiting, childishness? Where are those areas in our life? Now again, this is for you to apply to you. I get it. It's much more fun to apply to someone else. And you can make them up a list and print out Bible verses for them so they could grow up. No, just when you get done with that list, just keep it for yourself. And here's the issue that all of us have to deal with. You can't deal with what you haven't identified. You can't deal with what you haven't identified. So you have to think and pause and pray and ask the Lord. And again, I'm not joking about that. Your loved ones and friends will tell you like that, where you need to grow up. They really will. They know it. It's blinded to you, but they'll know just like that. Here's where you need to grow up. And then the, the other thing I want to say, don't let this discourage you. Don't let this discourage you. The Bible says, my children, God says, I chastise, I correct, because I want them to grow up. When my children misbehaved, I corrected them, because I wanted them to have a good life, and quite frankly, 
because it's more of a blessing for me if they behaved in public as well. When I see another person's kid um, misbehave, I may say, wow, that kid needs you know, some guidance. But I don't go over and help because they're not my kid. So if you're a child of God, be prepared. You may get some counsel from God. <laughs> you may get some correction from him. It's okay because it just means I'm in the family. I'm in the family. God loved me enough.